Hey guys, this is your host Josh, and welcome back to The Listening Room. Listen to what the flower people say. Welcome back to The Listening Room, episode two. Hopefully, we'll have as much fun today as we did last week reviewing the first half of Second Stage Turbine Blade. I know I'm loving it. I hope to hear from you guys uh, whether you like it or whether you don't like my voice, if you think the album sucks, if I say um too much. I've already noticed that, so I'm going to try and get better, but I can't make any promises. Anyways, I don't want this to be about me. Let's jump right back into the music, picking up a track five. Delirium Trigger. Now, what can I say about this song? On a personal note, this was one of my first Coheed songs that I'd ever heard. I want to say it's my first. I owned a Vans Warp Tour compilation CD that this song was on, but it may have actually been beaten out by a Favor House Atlantic off their next album, which was on rotation on the radio. I, I don't know exactly which one came first, but this is my first memory, and this is what caused me to get into Coheed and Cambria. Now, it starts out, and this song is ominous from the very beginning that you just heard, with the drums coming in and with that meandering guitar line that really just gives you this sense of you're in a very strange place. You're not sure quite what's going on. And I think this song, more so than any of the other songs on the record, can be taken by itself and it gives you a certain feel, a certain vibe over the entire thing. And to me, what I take from it is that this song was very heavily inspired by the movie Alien. It's got that very ominous, eerie feeling. Throughout the entire song, you get these feelings of dread. It even makes reference in the lyrics to something coming up and out of your chest, just like in the movie Alien. And throughout the entire song, I think it's just there to make you feel a little uneasy. Something is going on. There's this impending sense of doom throughout the entire song that begins even with the first guitar line. And that guitar line comes back in multiple times throughout the song in the verses and things like that. You can hear it out in the background. So there's never a moment where they're like, okay, everything's all right. No, this entire song puts you on edge. You can hear it through all the vocal effects. You can hear the delay on the vocals the doubling when the chorus comes in, even the distortion on the vocals, the screaming at the very end that brings in that growl that something is there behind you. The vocal performance on this song is fantastic. Claudio knocks it out of the park with his whispers on the pre-choruses. 
with his very delicate vocals. And then when he screams out, I don't feel alive, you can really relate with what he's saying just in the emotion that he brings in his voice. This song, again, is very dynamic. It plays with silence. They drop out multiple times throughout the song to emphasize the words. And it sounds like musically when they drop out, what Claudio is talking about are memories of this person that's being terrified by this alien menace. I think a couple musical things that I just love about this song would be in the pre-chorus where the guitar is in stereo. You can hear on the left the palm-muted riff that they're playing, while on the right ear you can hear it without the palm-muted. I think that that's just so cool that you've got both riffs. It's the same riff playing at the same time, but you hear it two different ways. In the bridge portion of the song, you hear the chorus effect on the guitar. I think it fits the madness that the character is going through in this whole song. He's talking about how they made us do things to you and he doesn't feel alive. And then the crescendo out of that bridge with the palm-muted guitar that's growing and growing while you hear these growls in the background. It just fits the vibe of the song so well. It crescendos into the very end where you have layered vocals coming in, multiple vocal melodies along with the screams just encroaching upon your ears. Another little note is that the drums at the very end, if you're listening, you can hear the air coming off of it, the reverb that's coming off the kit at the very end of the song here. Now, one thing about the drummer is that in the liner notes, it actually says this is not Josh Eppard. This is Nate Kelly, the previous drummer for Shibuti, who played on this song, as well as a song that we'll get into later, 33. Now, from what I understand, both of these songs were written before Coheed and Cambria was formed, when Coheed and Cambria was just going to to be a side project, an EP from Shibuti to tell bits of this story. So I think it's pretty cool. It kind of makes sense that this song can be taken by itself because this song was written so early. And if you notice in the drumming, the drumming does definitely sound different. The snare is tuned higher. It's got kind of more of a, I think it's a piccolo snare sound to it. It kind of sounds more like you would hear from a reggae band. And then also, When the drum roll comes in from the bridge, it's a little bit sloppy. I mean, it's not terrible, it's not too noticeable, but it is a little sloppy, so it's kind of funny to note that this is actually a completely different drummer than the rest of the album. Fantastic, creepy song. I love it. I think it hits all the points that they were trying to hit. It it is so cohesive altogether with the music and with the words and with the dynamics. Uh, This song is just fantastic. Hearshot Kid Disaster. Now this song begins with an intro that sounds like the band is just kind of jamming out, having a good time. I, for one, am not particularly fond of it. It sounds a little too radio rock for my tastes, but it does sound like 
the band is having fun. Travis kind of immediately goes to the higher frets and kind of doing the string bending there. So it, it sounds like he's having a good time. I'm just not really feeling it, especially after coming off of Delirium Trigger. This mid-tempo rocker really doesn't um, do much for me. That being said, it's not a bad song. I think the interplay between both of the guitars once the verse kicks in is really cool. You can hear their intersecting melodies, which are really good. It's just that because it's more mid-tempo, it's a lot easier to kind of gloss over in the song as a whole. Now, at that short little channel from the intro to the verse, I do particularly like the bass sound where it comes in and it says, hey, this is the end of the intro. Now we're going to go ahead and go into the song. things to note about this song are that I think the background vocals are very raw, including the screams. They're they're pretty raw sounding. Not that they haven't been before on the rest of the album, but I think it's more noticeable with this song. The background vocals aren't always on pitch. They're not always coming in at the exact right time and cutting off at the right time. They're, they're, they're more raw. The vocal melody of the song, it still has that same idea where it's more free-flowing with the words that Claudio wants to sing. It's not rigidly conforming to that set melody that he's written. There is a particularly funny line to me. Um, As we said in the intro to this podcast and we read kind of that title scroll for this whole album, there's a character named Mayo Deftonwolf. And so a line in this song, Claudio sings, is I need mayo. And that's always struck me. If you have no idea what the overall story is, it's pretty funny. Claudio singing, I need mayo, like he needs a sandwich. But then immediately after that line, there's this line, I won't fail you now. That especially, you can tell these are pretty raw vocals. The song continues to play with dynamics. The band drops out and comes back in for bigger parts. It has another clean guitar bridge, although it doesn't last too long before it comes in with more heavy guitars and cuts out for more of a clean guitar again, and then bringing back in the heavy guitars. Again, to note with the screaming, it's difficult for me to understand what he's saying, but with this song in particular, I think there are some cool lines buried within these screams. Listen to this. Where's your song, or have you lost the key or tone? I think that's pretty cool, but it's hidden behind the scream that I can't tell until I pull out the lyric booklet. This song continues with that same theme of death. Listen to this line. Wound open and squeezing my heart against this pain inflicts, and in passion I bleed for it. Wow. The overall feeling of the song from the lyrics, it feels like an apocalyptic fallout for me, with lines like, Killed the president and still searching for your face in the cloud that buried New Mexico. And then lastly, they gave me this book and flint and a match to go with it. It feels kind of desolate from a lyrical standpoint. Track 
7.33, the band just hits the ground running from the very start of this song. Now, it's interesting to note that the solo guitar is a bit more on the left side in this song, whereas in previous songs it's been on the right. But I think this song in particular, just in stark contrast to the intro of the last song where it was more of just a jam before they jumped into the song, this intro is used for the verses of the song, and it just kicks it right off. It's more up-tempo than the last song, and you know you're in for it once it kicks in. I love the vocal melody of this song. I think it complements the guitar lines really well. There's some gang vocals in the chorus of this song, which is pretty cool. It gives it kind of a more pop-punk feel, especially with the faster tempo of the song. Again, the verse lines don't rhyme in particular, but they have that continuing melody that Claudio puts together. It is interesting that this song was also written by Shibuti before they were Coheed and Cambria, so this is Nate Kelly playing the drums on this song. It's pretty cool because if you listen to the drums, they're a lot more technical. He's doing a lot more fills in this song. Let's take a look at one part that I think where the drums just shine. The breakdown in this song, unlike previous songs where it's primarily been a clean guitar, it's a distorted guitar that's palm muted. Really, I think this song could be the second single from the album because it's such a fun, upbeat song. A note about those background vocals in the chorus, you can hear that it's also Travis singing along with Claudio. If you've heard his voice before by his side projects, you'll be able to pinpoint where he's singing too. Again, in contrast to what the feeling of the music is for this song, guess what it's about? Death. This time, it's the unlucky Patrick, who left the scene of the crime back at the end of everything evil. Listen to what's going on here from this line. In pieces they stagger embedded. Rush me to the emergency room. Flatline equals frantic endeavor. But I guess this'll have to do now. Sorry, Patrick. Looks like you're out of there. Another line that I've always liked is at the end of this song, I've always heard Claudio sing, let go of your youth for honesty. And I thought that was such a cool sentiment. I like that. You know, you want truth. You want to know truth over and against that youthful sense of naivete. You're always searching. You're always growing throughout your life. I've always really liked that. Well, come to find out here when I sat down with the lyric booklet to listen to this album again, <laughs> that's not actually what he's saying. The lyric is, let go of your youthful honesty. Ugh, not quite as deep a sentiment. Now, because this song was written so early on before the rest of the album, I think it's really cool how well it fits overall with the structure of this album, with the story as well, and even how it touches on Patrick. I mean, that's pretty amazing that a song that was written before this story of the entire album was put together can tell that little piece of the story. It's a great, fun little track. I'm 
song Provision. I think this is another great intro by the band. It's just simple power chords, but I love it. And then Travis comes in and he adds so much to that catchy, simple power chord line. Throughout the intro, as well as in the verses, he's just going everywhere. I love his guitar work and the interplay between his guitar and Claudio's. And where the vocals just perfectly sit on top of that. The beginning of this song is just fantastic. It's catchy, it's upbeat, it kicks you in the teeth while still having those pop sensibilities. While continuing to play around with dynamics like the rest of the album, there is a spoken word bridge in this song, which I've never been able to pick apart what they're talking about, except that there's some sort of contract going on. This song does not have a standard structure. There's no verse chorus. I think it's more of a three-part song where I love the beginning and I love where it's going. Really, if they did that for five minutes, I would totally be on board with it. The middle section, I'm not too keen on, and especially coming up after that beginning where it slows down and it's a little bit more dissonant with the screams coming in. It's a bit lackluster to me, but then at the very end, it crescendos with the third section and I love it. Now, the structure for this song, I think, is more like what we'll see on some of their later albums. They have these suites of songs where it's more progressive. They have different sections of songs and it's not your typical structure. It's more complex than that. This is just the beginning of that idea, and I think they pull it off really well. The more that I've listened to this song and the complexity of it, the more I've enjoyed it, to where it's one of the standout tracks on the album for me. The vocal performance, once again, I think it's great. I think Claudio just goes all over the place with what he's singing nice and catchy and upbeat in the beginning to a much more delicate second portion of the song. And then, like I said, the screams coming in and then the crescendo at the end, it's great. All of the instruments are going crazy at the end. You can listen to it multiple times, listen to the guitars and how they're soloing, listen to the drums going crazy. And with the layered vocals coming in, Claudio has multiple melodies going on and screams as well. And it's just such a great crescendo and ending to the song. There's also a bit of a reprise from the ending of Time Consumer in the ending of this song, which is so cool. It harkens back to earlier what was going on, even with the lyrics and that promise me that line. It then ends with a musical outro that, again, signifies the passage of time within the storyline. Now, the lyrics here, there's so much to talk about, so I'll just jump right into it. I think it continues that fallout kind of feeling uh, with lines like, Good morning, sunshine. Awake when the sun hits the sky. Look up the sounds that surround the day you died. She waits for me outside near a hole in the ground in the one way thinking you might get the upper hand. So the idea here is that they're living in a hole in the ground, that it's a desolate kind of wasteland. Again, the music doesn't exactly say that with the up-tempo beat, but the lyrics here are really trying to show you the desolation of the world at this point. I love the second verse. He directly names two characters that he hasn't within the album yet. There's Nuo Iken, who was Claudio's girlfriend, as well as Apollo, Nuo's dog, where he says, Dear Nuo Iken, how's Apollo been treating you? Has he been a good boy since the day I left? Give him my love and a sweet kiss for his head, because I won't be coming home when you get this. I'll be dead. Yeesh. 
Of course, what else would this song be talking about if not death? And man, does it get, uh, for lack of a better term, emo. Listen to this. Paper cut my heart in half and discard the evidence. When it's yours, come send me the last half, doused in kerosene in a torched, blazed bloodbath. That sounds like some high school angst lyricism. But don't despair. If that's not your cup of tea, I do think he does really well with the rest of the song. With lines like, wait for me, I'm still a boy down here, where's Wednesday? Now this refers back to the song Everything Evil, where he says, Jesse, just come look at what your brother did, here he did away with me. Stay until Wednesday and write me a childlike letter pretending. So back in that song, it's a Tuesday night, and that's when Coheed and Cambria killed their children. So with this line, he's talking about Wednesday, the day after these events, by saying, where's Wednesday? And he's referencing it, in my mind, not to the Wednesday that did come, but the Wednesday that could have come. That sense of normalcy, like, why can't we just reach Wednesday? Why can't things go back to the way that they were and we can have just another Wednesday? Back when he could see his young brothers and sister and his older sister and his mom and dad and just a normal family. And especially with the crescendo of the music coming in with these layered vocals, when you hear, where's Wednesday, where's Wednesday? And at the very end, promise me that. I think they do such a good job here of just conveying that emotion. Never Ender. Now, there's another intro to this song, and I think it accentuates the rhythm section with the bass really heavy in the mix and the drums playing along with it. I think overall, the sound of this song mostly captures the era in which this band was writing music. So this band hasn't been on a major label. They don't know what the studio process is. It's more of a DIY ethos. And in those early 2000s, with the place that they were in with hardcore punk kind of rising to prominence within the DIY section. This song isn't quite hardcore punk. I mean, it, it's got a little bit in there, but it's more kind of that early emo flavor, that clarity era Jimmy Eat World with the uh, chugging palm muted guitars that drive forward the song. If I can say it, I think this is the least Coheed and Cambria song on this album. It kind of goes along at a mid-tempo pace, and it does have some accents as well, but it's not quite as dynamic as some of the other songs that they've written. It doesn't quite progress like the other songs do. And I think also, through no fault of the song, it just kind of plays at a similar pace to what we've heard with the previous three or four tracks. It's kind of just hitting the end of this lull at the end-middle portion of this album. Although that being said, one thing to note is that the chorus is kind of an inverted chorus. With most songs, you want to have a big, catchy chorus that everyone can hang their hat on and that can get stuck in people's heads so they know your music. This song is different than that. The catchiness actually comes through more on the verses and, of course, the ending. 
But the chorus is actually more laid back than anything else in the song. So that's a cool little experimental form of songwriting that they use with the song. Now, the lyrics, again, I think it exemplifies where they've come from, this early hardcore emo scene. And it is borderline melodramatic. The character Claudio in this song sounds depressed with lines like, Dear Mom and Dad, I write you this letter that states I'll be moving on. Forget your son when he's out on his own. The song even comes to a point where I think it's talking about suicide. The lyrics are, point your gun in another direction now that you've cried yourself to sleep. Now that you're accepting the fact that your family is dead. At this point in the story, Claudio also believes that his parents are dead. So not only his siblings, but his parents are as well. So with his whole family dead, He's contemplating even taking his own life, but instead he cries himself to sleep. He can't pull the trigger. And so he's saying, point your gun in the other direction now that you've cried yourself to sleep. Now that you've come to this point, give up on giving up. Don't be a coward. Don't end your life now. You've still got more to live for. we get to track 10, God Send Conspirator. With the heaviness and the despair of the last track, I think especially the intro to this song really just breathes a breath of fresh air upon the listener. It's a lot more laid back musically. It's got a little bit of a jazzy feel to it with a cleaner kind of guitars, but it still stays intricate. The intro to this song is just the uh, verse part played for an intro. But Travis, I love what he's doing with his guitar, where he can double what Claudio's doing, and then he can go off and play his own separate riffs. The vocals in the song mirror the laid-back style of the guitars. It's funny because you can't imagine him yelling something over the way that the guitars are being played in the verses. But then it comes to the chorus, and he does start doing just that, reaching the upper ranges of his register. The lyrics, too, follow the feel of the music, with lines like, Your wise-ass comments could cheer you up. You know, you've just been through this night of despair, but really, you don't need to have the heaviness of the world upon your shoulders. Take that weight off. Why are you so serious? It still manages to hearken back to the previous song with lyrics that reference blood and guts like, Don't touch a fresh wound that bleeds all over your carpets, the stains. The storybook remains in the page that states you've lied. Accept and then reply. Acknowledge the other guy. I think this is a great line because it bridges the gap between the depression of the last track and how it's referencing that this story that's being written, what Claudio sees as a character is only his portion of the story. He doesn't know what's going on in the story as a whole. So there's no need for him to be so melodramatic that he has this fresh wound that bleeds all over the carpets when really the storybook remains and the page 
Cage states that you've lied. He doesn't understand everything that's going on. He needs to, like the line says, accept and then reply, acknowledge the other guy. He could be lying to himself this whole time about the events that have transpired. He doesn't understand why his parents have done what they've done. Musically, there are definitely distinct parts of this song. It's very Coheed and Cambria. There's those chunky, palm-muted guitars throughout the song that really accentuate the different parts of the song that Claudio sings over. You'll see this a lot throughout their entire discography. This is very indicative of Coheed and Cambria. And it has these overlapping vocal melodies where Claudio just tries to fit as many melodies that can go into one song and fit together as possible. And all this is after this key change going from one part of the song to another at about the four minute mark, which sounds so cool. Again, the final part of this song is another crescendo where it feels like the drums are just being loosed when everything is coming together, when everything is just going off, doing their own thing, having their own little parts. The drums are free to play what they want to while these melodies are bouncing back and forth all over the place. And here is where the focal point of the song is lyrically, in the line, your dreams can't last forever. Taken outside of the song, a line like that could mean, come on kid, it's time to grow up, live your life. It really feels like a line for the end of an album. It's wrapping up this entire thing, and this is what it wants to leave you with. Your dreams can't last forever. So you can take that a couple of different ways. So, so grab them while you still have them and run with them or accept what you need to and move forward. Now, within the context of the story, I think what they're saying is that his dreams, his perception of what has been going on can't last forever. These dreams that have come after he's contemplating suicide can't last. He needs to move forward. He needs to go forward and continue this saga. This really feels like the end of an album to me. And then as the song fades out, there's the outro on the piano. The piano is out of tune, and it's actually playing the same tune from the end of Everything Evil, except this time around it's a bit more out of tune. That record player is unstable when it's playing it back. And this is the end of the second stage Turbine Blade. Or is it? I, Robot, the hidden track on the album. So if you have the original release, this one does come after Godsend Conspirator, or if you have the re-release, it's going to come after the demo version of Everything Evil. This is, unlike the rest of the album, an acoustic song, and this one definitely sounds like a demo. You can hear the hiss from the guitar recordings pretty prominently. 
what I think this song does really well, besides just having great melodies, I think it gives you an uneasiness through the entire song, which is really interesting because I think Delirium Trigger did the same thing, but they did that with different effects, uh, especially on the guitar, to differentiate the different points of the song, to make you feel certain things, but also with the vocal performance. The vocal performance in this song, I think, gives you that creepiness, but also also just that sense of airiness that's in the song, even with it being a demo, I think it it really imparts something special with a feeling that something is wrong. The doubled vocals also really help to give you that feeling. The pre-chorus especially is creepy with lines that say, you've been a bad boy, you broke all the rules. You've been a bad boy. You'll get yours paid in full. And it's not delivered like someone who's yelling, but it's someone who's serious and almost deadpan. It's really creepy. Like it's coming from a robot. And then the chorus comes in. Um, They felt the need to add to these quarter note strums that the guitar is doing. At least that's my guess, that since the chorus isn't quite as intricate as the verses, they needed to add something else to it. And what they put in are these beeps and these boops and this high-pitched synth padding that I think is just way too loud and really gets in the way of what they're trying to do with the chorus. Unfortunately, it's, it's just bad in my opinion. It really takes away from what otherwise would be a pretty good chorus. Overall, this song reminds me of Claudio's side project, The Prizefighter Inferno, which is also a collection of demos, but it has that more acoustic electric feel, uh, where it's primarily acoustic guitar, but it's got electronics in it as well. So overall, I, I do think it is a really good song, but it's really marred by those annoying noises in the chorus. There's a live version of this song that they've put out on their Never Ender collection that I think is really good as well. It doesn't capture the eeriness of this track, but it does add a few things that I really like too, like the line where they say, If I'm to be killed, then when, by whom, and how? Alongside the others that I hold so close If I'm to be killed, then when, by whom, and how Alright, so that concludes the second stage Turbine Blade. Now, like I said, there are some extra tracks that were added to the re-release of the album, so we can take a real quick look at those. I'm not going to play any clips just for the sake of brevity. Um, It starts off with Elf Tower, New Mexico, and this is a demo version, although technically the whole album's a demo, so it's kind of funny that they say that. I always thought of this song as kind of an alternate version of Hearshot Kid Disaster, since it has references to New Mexico, although I guess that's not entirely true. It just sort of fits into the story when New Mexico was being destroyed because in Hearshot Kid Disaster, they referenced that it was destroyed. There is one little bit to this song that I really like, and that's where Claudio actually says the words Coheed and Cambria. It's just fun to hear that in the middle of the song. 
Now, my thoughts on it are that it is a good song, and I'm glad that I have it as an unreleased track that was added to the re-release, but I'm also glad that it was cut from the final album. Just because, I not that it's a bad song, but I think that in the overall flow of the album, this song would have been kind of monotonous along with, if, if it was thrown in there with Hearshot Kid Disaster and 33 and Never Ender, it kind of just would have floated there and wouldn't have added much to the overall album. So, still a good song, but I'm glad that it was only released as a B-side. The next B-side is just an acoustic demo version of June Song Provision. It opens up with a sample from The Evil Dead, which is kind of funny because I actually uh, heard the song long before I watched the movie, and so when I finally saw him pick up the shotgun, it made more sense to me what they're referencing with the song. With this acoustic demo version, I think you really get a glimpse of how Claudio writes with his acoustic guitar and how he adds in vocal melodies everywhere throughout the song. Uh, I much prefer the version that made the album, though. Lastly, there's a demo of Everything Evil. Now, this is a demo of a song that made the album... From what I can tell, they used all of the same recording. This is just a different mixed version of the song. So really, if you're not listening in headphones, if you're not really, really listening to the song, you're not going to be able to tell that there's much of a difference. I do think it's cool that in the beginning of the song, the vocals start out in stereo, that it's not just a mono take of his vocals. It just adds a little something, but the kick drum isn't quite as full. Um, you know, it's really mostly the same song though. So if you like the original, you'll like this version because they're basically the same. Okay, so for real this time, that is the second stage Turbine Blade by Coheed and Cambria. We've seen a lot of reoccurring themes here, um, this overall DIY aesthetic with the album because it was a collection of demos, this same sound throughout the album with very raw background vocals, even main vocals, but with lots of emotion, I think lots of heart that bleeds over into the songs themselves. You hear lots of fuzzy guitars. There's an intro to almost every song. And of course, the lyrical themes of death that run all throughout this guy. Now, I do think it redeems itself at the end, which is really cool. It doesn't leave you in the lurch there, but death is a prominent theme. Overall, I personally love this album. It's it's one of my favorites by Coheed and Cambria. I will say after kind of listening a bit closer that the ending, the middle half of the album towards the end is kind of a lull for me. There's not much there to break up the monotony besides June Song Provision, which is great, and 33 really helps keep the tempo up. But I think with Hearshot Kid Disaster and Never Ender, they're more bland than the rest of the album, and they all kind of bleed together if you're just hearing the album as opposed to listening to each song. I do think overall, Second Stage Turbine Blade needs to be listened to as an album because of these reoccurring themes musically and lyrically. 
And honestly, it's probably albums like this where I got my love for albums, not just for songs, because I don't think you can really cherry pick singles from this album, especially with the way that this album sounds. It's hard to pick out just a handful of songs that you like. It really comes together as a whole, and that's where the beauty of this record and generally the beauty of Coheed and Cambria lies. So I absolutely love it. It's in my top three Coheed albums. It really just depends on what day you ask me as to which one is my favorite. When I'm in the mood for that DIY punk Coheed, then I turn to second stage and I'll usually be listening to it for days before I change it up to something else. We'll see in the coming weeks that lots of Coheed albums have a very specific sound. The production continues to change throughout their early discography. So if you are married to this sound on this album, unfortunately, you're not really going to get that. But I do think as we see the progression, you're still going to enjoy it. And it's really cool to look back on this album and hear where these guys got their chops. This is a band that had still been around for a few years before they put this out. But you can see their early songwriting technique. And this is back before they were constrained by producers and things like that to really tighten up their songs, this is them at their most pure. Now, obviously, they're still in their infancy, so they have not perfected their craft yet, but this is the raw, unedited Coheed and Cambria. I love it. I hope you do too. And that's going to wrap it up for episode one. Now, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any concerns, there are multiple ways that you can contact me. You can email me at listeningroompodcast at gmail.com. You can call or text on my Google voice number. It's 617-651-116. Or you can catch me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at broccolope. That's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E. Till next time, guys, I'd encourage you, don't just hear, listen. Listen.